0: That's right, General Quarters, and this is Battleground. We're 69 days away from the election, and again, it's Friday. It's time to talk politics with the great Jim Dornan. Jim, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Ivan, but it's Wednesday. Yeah, it's Wednesday. What did I say?
0: <laughs> you did I say? Friday. Oh, my God. I wish it was Friday. Uh, <laughs> we man. all do. Yeah. Well, I'm all telling the you. just run together now. That's right. Hey, i um, What a difference the uh, conventions have, have been Uh, one was loom and gloom. And, you know, we hate America and we're such a horrible nation and we're racist and it it just, just a tragic, tragic, uh, you know, narrative. And, you know, yesterday, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, um, wow. Just home runs, man. Uh, You know, uh, Maximo Alvarez, the uh, Cuban American. Um, man, just, just home run stuff. And then I guess last night, um, you know, everybody's praising the first lady, Melania Trump. Uh, I like Janet Nunez, uh, you know, Kim on the first night, she was great too. Uh, there are a bunch of good speeches. Um, Eric Trump's speech was also pretty good. I, I think it's been such a very different convention, such a different message. Um, tell us about it, man. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I I think you're right, and I, I think it, it has to be. Um, I mean, Trump at basically needs to convince people that, you know, other than this COVID over other than the COVID virus, things had been going pretty well, especially with regard to the economy, um, which was going very well. And so I, they need to be upbeat. And um, I like that they that they didn't you know blame all this stuff on the on the on the virus, but they talked about. You know the stuff that he's accomplished with granted has been a ton and the stuff he will do which is which is good as well and I, i just like the forward thinking kind of diverse uh uh speeches that were made and and you know hitting on all of trump's best issue areas you know i mean criminal uh you know criminal justice reform the economy the stock market i know it's tied into the economy but you know people's 401ks their standard of living all those things, and they're hitting on the stuff that's bad. You know what, Democrats aren't gonna protect you. I don't know if you saw what happened down here in D.C. uh, the other night, but you had uh, people being attacked by Black Lives Matter people while they were eating their dinner in an outdoor cafe. I mean, what kind of positive message is that? Is threatening them if they didn't hold up the Black Power sign, you know? I mean, it's this kind of incredible, ridiculous stuff that the left is supporting that, that I think gives Trump a better shot every single day. dude. And, and the worst problem is, Jim, is that they are not
0: saying a word. They are staying silent. So they are, you know, implicitly owning up to it and, and, and approving of it. So there's going to be a big backlash, man. I'm telling you, I feel this thing bubbling up. I feel this thing bubbling up and not, and I've said it before, man, the silent minority, I, I, I hear it from Hispanics, but I'm seeing it a lot from from blacks, man. Just crazy. I was at an event on Monday um, up in Baltimore with uh, congressional candidate uh, Kim Klasik, right? Um, And the place was packed. The place was packed, and it was just, you know what? uh, There are so many people there, white, black, whatever, and everybody was just pumped up. Everybody was pumped up, man, and you could see uh, something, you know, uh, and you've probably seen this, right? In, in the party in the past, you know, when we've seen, you know, it's like you've always said, it's mostly white people, right? We're, we're, where's the diversity in our party? And I think it's coming around, you know, but in the past when, we, when we've seen that, you know, I'm Hispanic, so, you know, I'm there. Maybe there's a couple other ones, maybe, you know, a few black people or something as well. Monday, it was packed. The majority of people were African-American, of course, right? Um, you know, tons of white people, tons of other people running uh, elected officials in the, in the, floor, in the, in the Maryland uh, legislation, and everybody was pumped up, excited, and it was like this new, almost like this new life. It was crazy. You shouldn't, <laughs> I was like, man, it, it, you know, we needed to capture this. It was just like this new party, like this new feeling, and I felt that feeling across from the other folks that were there, you know, and they were just so excited, so pumped up. I think there's a lot of excitement around, uh, around Kim. Um, well, I don't, I, I, I don't I, know what the chances I, are, but, man, I'm telling you, her message that night, her commercial, what she's doing, you know, I, I feel this excitement in that community that I've
1: never felt. I'm telling you. I'm yeah, no, I agree with you. Baltimore has been—I mean, God—when I was up there doing the governor's race, uh, I think the the mayor O'er, mayor Oriole candidate, Republican, got something like nine percent of the vote in Baltimore City. I mean, um, it 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 is tough up there. But I, as we've said on this on this broadcast podcast before, uh, Kim excites people. I mean, and there's a lot. I mean, she's she needs to be the new face of the party, you know, or at least a contributing face of the party. And I, I, I love her energy. I love her message. um, And I, and I love her candidacy. Um, It's going to take some folks a little while to come around, especially in that community. We've talked about that in in the past as well. I mean, things need to change. I think Trump is helping that. And, and, and at the same time, he's doing some not great things um, with regard to race relations. And I, I wish he would, I wish he would stay the one way that's good, which he which he has it in him to do yeah. um, instead of, you know, I know it's a minor statement on on the stuff that went on in Charlottesville, but it, it became a major statement because he never clarified it. And he he tried to justify the bad people there um, with the people that that weren't so bad. And I, you know, I just I, either he should stay away from that stuff completely or he should do the full dive in like he does with folks like Kim Klasik. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yep. so you know I mean it 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 just it's not his style and that and I think that's what i I like the this part of the convention it is, is that and you know, even Melania said last night, you know you may not like the way his styled, but it, you know you know at least where he's coming from, and that's that's true we, we do know where he's coming from, we know what he's gonna do most of the time um some of these things have kind of thrown me off like the yeah. the pardon the other night <laughs> not sure where that came from, but that's fine and I mean it, He's all about showmanship, as he said to me many times when I was up in New York with him. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, so Kim, Kim would be a great thing. I mean, it's going to be awful tough, especially um, in a presidential year when when more folks tend to come out, especially Democrats tend to come out uh, more so than Republicans. So, especially in a district like that. So we'll we'll see we'll see. I mean, there is a lot more excitement. It looks like he's gotten a little bit of a bump out of this. I saw he had fifty two percent approval in some. In some poll that I glanced at this morning. So um, we'll, we'll see the next two days and see how it goes. Well, you know,
0: what's really sad is to see that he actually got a bump during the DNC convention. Remember we were saying that? I've been saying this for a while. I said, it's not a matter of if Biden gets a bump. It's a matter of how many points does he go down. And, um, you know, Rasmussen comes out with an approval poll of uh, 51% for Trump during the DNC. So obviously, you know, that convention was a disaster. I think he's going to get a bump out of this. Um,
2: But I wonder
1: wonder if when when the Democrats are going to change their strategy, because it's it's very apparent that it's not working. Him just now granted, granted that Trump's sucking all the air out of the room, right out of the media room right now, if you will, because it's a convention. But, you know, the Democrats should have done that last week. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we get past Labor Day is Biden Biden's going to have to campaign. He's going to have to. Um, I just don't think sitting in front of a Zoom camera like we're doing right now is going to convince people to vote for him. Right. And, you know, and, and it seems like he has no intention to come out of hiding, right? I, I, it seems like that to me. And I, I just, I mean... You can speculate all you want. Maybe his health is nowhere near what they're saying it is, or yep. maybe he just doesn't want to take a chance. I mean, I know plenty of my friends are COVID paranoia right now too, but they're not running for president, right? You know, and you right. got to figure out a way to do it. Trump has. Trump's the same age as Biden. Yeah. So if Trump can do it, why can't Biden do it? Yeah, you know. Well, actually, isn't Trump? Trump is Trump is younger, isn't he? Yeah, maybe by a few
0: years, but yeah, nonetheless, years. Man, well, yeah, the range,
1: Seven the year range. old.
0: Yeah, in the same um, range. Yeah. Trump so, um, But it's crazy, man. It's, it's um, I, you know, I, I think they're going to call off the debates. If anything, Biden's going to go to one debate, he's going to get rolled, and then they're going to go out there and spit and say that Trump is lying and this and that and dishonest and blah, 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 blah. And they're going to say that the, the debates are, are, are not worth it because he's going to lie for an hour and a half.
1: And they're yeah, not. Yeah, and, 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 and frankly – I, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. I, I do think that I'm a little worried because Trump right now is was outspent during the month of August, significantly in the battleground states. And if this first debate is until the end of September, yeah. early voting in a lot of those battleground states is already going to take place. And you know, it, there aren't, not a whole lot of people say, I'm going to wait for the debate before I vote. I mean, there right. just aren't that many people. What he needs to be doing is, Stop going dark in Michigan, you know? I mean, yeah. he's got the money. Why aren't they spending it? Yeah. So um, that, that's, I mean, that's how Obama beat Rodney, Rom, Romney, frankly, is because he was targeting ads in places like Toledo, Michigan, which is why Romney, I mean, I'm sorry, Toledo, Ohio, which is why Romney lost Ohio and Michigan based on those stupid things he said about the auto industry, letting it go bankrupt. Yeah. And, and nobody saw what Obama was doing back here in D.C., and I, I think that the Romney people just took their eye off the ball and he couldn't understand. on election yeah, That was night. the most
0: bizarre campaign. That summer, he didn't do anything. And he let the media and the Democrats and the Obama campaign draw a caricature of this guy walking around with binders full of women, uh, you know, a dog on the roof of his car, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Yep. And he didn't respond to any of it. It was just oh. ridiculous. It was, it was the most bizarre thing I've seen I've ever
1: seen I think um, well plus he had he did really well in those debates but it didn't matter yeah. because people had already voted yeah. you know and so I just hope Trump doesn't make the same stupid mistake that Romney did yeah, I hope not but
0: you saw the boy in New York I mean Biden's down by uh, <coughs> Biden's up by four points you know the that's crazy
1: State? yeah yeah. Oh my God! no, I didn't see that yeah, Good that's worries. insane,
0: man. I mean, you know that that's why the the Democrats are moving all this money to go uh go defend, and I think that's you know that makes sense, right, because look how bad New York has been hit, right yeah. they've been hit pretty hard, you see the riots, you don't see any response from government, you don't see Cuomo doing anything, you don't see de blasio doing anything uh, aside from painting black lives matter in front of the trump tower you know which is just stupid so i think you know eventually you know the adults have to come around and say okay you know maybe i don't like this guy but you know these guys are just imbeciles right yeah no
1: no 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 doubt about it and uh it it, let's hope that both both campaigns get on track after labor day and we have an honest discussion and campaign and uh you know, some of this other Mickey Mouse stuff just got to go away. It doesn't really matter. Post office, give me a freaking break.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I think, you know, after Labor Day, this thing is going to come full force, um, like it always does, right? Um, we haven't really seen much of uh, Kamala Harris. Not at all. Anything from Joe Biden. Uh, Nancy Pelosi. I'm convinced that she is, um, she's an alcoholic. Um, then she must've been drunk the other day when she said, you know, the threat to the American people were at 1600 and, 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 and their allies, you know, in Congress, um, that's the type of crap that got, uh, Steve Scalise almost killed, right?
1: Well, not only that, but I mean, if she's going to yell at Trump for saying that stuff about the press, then you turn around and say it about the president himself. Um, it just shows an incredible amount of hypocrisy from democratic leadership, uh, they, they they don't get it, and I and I think that. Whereas I wish we could take the house, we're not going to. Um, you don't think I, so? Nah, I just don't think it's possible. Not it just it. The but house we had, we had
0: it before, right? And and a lot of these a lot of these districts that flipped uh, had gone for Trump in sixteen.
1: Yeah, but those are suburban women's you know women's college age college age suburban women who. I think Trump is trying to get back a little bit, but I don't think he's going to get that back to the point where, um, where you're going to get 40 of them to, to flip back. Now, I will say that if you've, you've got people like, uh, I think her name's Amy Amy Spamberger down in the old uh, Eric Cantor seat in the Richmond suburbs, um, I mean, she can't afford not to have a bill passed. Uh, I mean, she's the kind of pe- person, member of Congress, Democrat, that we can pick off. And there are a couple of them around. But as far as a Trump is not capable of a full scale uh, coattail election where he brings the house back. It's just it's not going to happen. What what, the way it usually has been working is that it's the party in power who does horribly uh, in the off year election. So for Obama, that was 010 and 14, um, you know, if, and, and, and it happened to Trump you know, he, he lost, he lost the house in, in 2018. And so I don't see, I don't see a groundswell. I mean, it's going to be really close election again. And I don't see the groundswell like we saw in 2018 where there it's like, throw all the bums out. I think it's going to be. And I don't know what to tell you, man. I feel something happening. Well, no, no, that's it. it, If we keep the Senate and keep the presidency, that's, that's a lot to accomplish. I don't, I just don't see,
0: I think we're going to win by a larger margin, Jim. I'm telling you, I think I am I'm sensing this big, big surprise coming from, from the black community, coming from the Hispanic community. I think there's going to be a big, big surprise. I, I'm, I, man, you, you cannot imagine the amount of people that reach out to me every single day, you know, and, uh, and, and, and they tell me the same thing. You know what, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna vote for this guy. These guys are insane. There's no way I'm voting for, you know, for socialism, for, for this crap that, you know, we ran from, you know, or our families ran from in Latin America. There is no way in hell this guy could do anything and I'm gonna vote for him. And, and you see a lot of that. And um, it's bizarre. I was talking to this friend yesterday who had voted for Obama twice um, ended up voting for Trump in 16. Um, just because, <laughs> you know, he, he, he was one of those that just didn't like Hillary Clinton. Um, he was fed up with the, you know, political class. And he said, you know what, Trump isn't really an ideologue, so let's give him a shot. And now, you know, he's telling me that so many of his friends, this guy's a Puerto Rican, Cuban, and so many of his friends that used to give him shit in the past for voting for Trump are now telling him, you know what, we're going to vote for Trump. We're going to
1: vote for Trump. Well, and I, I, I think that- are not telling anybody, man. They're not telling I anybody. think that in places like Philadelphia and uh, what are some other swing, maybe maybe Denver uh, where we suburban women, I think that the whole Black Lives Matter thing is going to wind up hurting the Democrats. <laughs> um, but I also think if you do a deeper dive into some of their- more arcane positions, um, say like Pennsylvania with fracking um, or, uh, yeah. or even Ohio with fracking, I don't think we lose Ohio, but, but I mean, it's certainly not gonna help them. And, and if Trump can hold that coalition of blue collar um, workers, yeah. um, you know, middle class, um, you know, maybe not so college educated, if he can hold on to those folks in, in some of those swing states, then, then I think he's got a legitimate shot. I mean, the key is gonna be, it's gonna wind up being, I think, Michigan. I think Trump can win Pennsylvania. I think Trump will win Florida. Um, Wisconsin, I think he can win. I worry about places like North Carolina, Iowa, and Michigan. And he needs, he needs those states because I think we talked about this earlier, there's no looking at, I mean, there's, you're not gonna get enough electoral votes out of a place like New Hampshire, or New Mexico, not that they would even go Republican to begin with. But Nevada, right, no way. I just, yeah, I just, I mean, Nevada's gone. I mean, we've got to concentrate on what we got and how we get to 270 um, in order for, for Trump to win. And I, I know that, I mean, Septian's a good bean counter. He knows what he's got to do. Um, but, and that's why I'm just going back to my point I made earlier, that we've he's got to get back on the air in those swing states. I don't care if it's late August. People are home. They got nothing to do if they're, still out of work they're watching tv so get on the air that's right and you know and going back to that right is
0: how does he win back how does he hold on to that blue collar vote it's by helping them now right that they need help and we talked about that over the last month i think with the you know the, the this covid relief bill that isn't going anywhere um that, uh, you know, he tried to pass these executive actions that have really been more, you know, showmanship than, than, than anything else, unfortunately, because right. uh, they haven't been able to be implemented. But right. that's, what, that's yeah. what Nancy Pelosi wants. She doesn't want him to help those people that need help. Can, right. can Trump, can the Republicans do something and put the pressure on her? I don't know if they can do that. We talked a little bit about it off camera.
1: Well, I mean, I think we, we know what they agree to. Um, and if Pelosi wants something, whatever it is, name her most important, not non-COVID-related item in that bill, because there's dozens of them. I mean, I think that I think that um, the trade-off is li- limited liability on businesses, churches, and schools. I mean, that's that seems to be a red flag or a red line for for McConnell. Then give up something in order to get that. Um, I'm not saying give up a bunch of money for pensions at these awful governors have have run into the their states into the ground on but there's got to be something over there that's palatable enough too and i don't think it's you know uh required uh mile, mile per gallon to, to airlines either which is somebody i guess the guy out in oregon wyden wants to do that i mean but there's got to be something in there that they can come to well, what, are the, what are the democrats asking for jim what, well where, in the where's the divide where's the, where's the, where's the friction here Well, it's it's mostly it's more money going to liberal interest groups, um, and like like um, you know state employees and AFSCME members, essentially you know uh, government employees. That that's a big one. That's a huge one, as a matter of fact. Uh, Another one is what's called salt, which is uh, basically the the Trump tax cuts limited the amount of money that rich people in blue states. Could write off on their tax returns. Okay, right. uh, it it was probably an fu to those states. It's a place like Connecticut, New York, California, Oregon, Washington. But nonetheless, it, this that does not belong in a COVID relief bill. Um, so I and so other and and I I keep hearing that the word marijuana is mentioned thirty seven times in the bill mm-hmm. and jobs is mentioned like six. So i mean it's it's typical I mean she pulled this crap with Obama's stimulus bill when she had tattoo removal for two million or three million dollars and I mean what does that have to do with stimulating the economy? you know so she probably had some rich friend who owns a bunch of tattoo parlors in San Francisco, you know that right so um I don't know what the what the um you know the the thing that the Democrats want to hold up the most, but they could they could pick one thing and I, and I Frankly, I'd rather have Mnuchin making this deal than I would Meadows because Meadows has got that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I think we've talked about the born again budget hawks, you know, I'm sorry, that's just not appropriate now. You, let's get out of this problem and, and get this resolved and, um, and move forward and stop leaning on ridiculously petty things. Is this, is
0: this stupidity over mailboxes a deal breaker for, for the Dems?
1: No, the mailboxes was something that was instituted under the Obama administration. Right. Right. Um, I mean, there are plenty of pictures of it. Um, I, I don't know on the whole, I get that blanket mailing out and delivery, uh, and that's another thing that was in the bill actually. Um, Pelosi wanted uh, states to not have to match the signature on the ballot sent in with the signature that the Board of Elections has in the state. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's or, or even the last four numbers of their Social Security number. I mean, simple stuff, you know. I mean, you got to have a phone photo ID to cash a check in this town, right? Or to even buy freaking um, Sudafed down at the local CVS. That's true. That's you know? true. Yeah. But you don't have to have an ID to vote. I mean, that is freaking ridiculous. And so, the worst thing is, I, th-
0: that's where I think the deal breaker is, right on this universal mail-in ballot, because that's what they want to push for. That's where their whole. That's where they're they're putting the uh you know the sword on the ground and saying you know we're gonna we're gonna die here right
1: well and 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 frankly the republicans should hold tight because we lost five house seats in california in the 2016 cycle uh mimi 18, walters who's a 18, very good friend of mine, right? in the midterm yep. say again in the, in the midterm in the 18s right oh i'm sorry yeah. you're right you're right In the yeah. 18s five, but but because of ballot harvesting. So when Trump is out there talking about ballot harvesting, it's not some, some pie in the sky thing that doesn't happen. Those five seats were lost. Republican seats were lost in California because of ballot harvesting.
0: What does that mean exactly? What does ballot harvesting mean for people that don't know what it means? That, that
1: Ballot harvesting is as if I walked into a senior citizen's home you know, that had maybe you know, 150 or 200 residents, handed out a bunch of ballots told them basically to vote for uh, Hillary or, or whomever. And they would, they'd sign it. And then I would collect all of them and drop, knowing that seniors don't necessarily, you know, mail stuff out when they want to. They forget, they leave it aside. You, I would gather all those ballots and I would drop them off at the, uh, at the Board of Elections myself. I mean, Mimi's numbers from like 11 o'clock Hour time so eight o'clock their time when the polls closed when she was up by five or six or seven thousand votes and two weeks later she wound up losing by four thousand yep. so there was a nine thousand vote turnaround yep. in, in and they had two weeks before yep. the, you know they had to um drop off the ballot so it's it was so bogus. Total crap. Total total, crap. Total bogus yeah it's insane man
0: so what are you hearing on the hill you're hearing something about um the third uh, September 30th CR deadline no bill Yeah to- that's
1: what they seem to be talking about that's what Meadows was quoted today is talking about and of course you got the typical back and forth Meadows said he reached out to Pelosi's office Pelosi's spokesman said we got a message that he wanted to he wanted to make sure he had the right number and that's the last we've heard of him so you know god knows what kind of games they're playing right now there's just not a lot of love lost at all between Pelosi in the White House and, you know, throw Schumer's stupidity in there as well. And, you know, I can understand why they don't want to deal with him. But the problem, the problem is they have to deal with him. We got to get this. We got to get something done
0: here. Yeah, Schumer is just an imbecile. I mean, that, that dude, uh, you know, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So what do you see? What, how do you see the rest of the week playing out, Jim?
1: Uh, I, I think that the base is going to be very happy with, with, with what they're seeing. Um, you know, others like you and I are going to watch and kind of roll our eyes and said, "Okay, yeah, I guess they have to do that. Both sides do," and then we'll see who's serious after after Labor Day. I think you're going to see a, a week long lull. Although I think Trump will try it to have it not be a lull, but um, but I mean, we've got you've got two two and a half months to you know sprint to the deadline, and you know I think that we ought to just I mean it was smart to just kind of regroup after the convention. Run ads where you need to run ads and figure out exactly where you're going to get votes that you need to get. And in, in What's the party
0: doing? What's the party doing as far as uh, registration?
1: Actually, they're doing pretty well. I heard their registration numbers are better than the Democrats right now in swing states. Correct. So, uh, you know, I think I told you, Ronna lives in my building. She seems really pleased. I talk to her every, every now and then. Um, so that, that's a good thing. Uh, they've just got to figure out, I mean, just like, every political operative does they've got to figure out how many votes they need in each state and that's not a difficult number to figure out and how they're going to get them and where where they're where they are and how they're going to get them and i frankly i think that the digital operation that the trump campaign has in place is is outstanding it's how he won in 2016 i think they'll probably tweak it to make it even better this time around um and again i think it's going to come down to to places like i mean don't believe one word of texas or georgia not in a president i was about to ask
2: you
0: that you're in my mind yeah. but i
1: meant it i i i was in a, i was in a minute in satire in
0: pure jest you know i was going to ask you so what is this thing about texas and georgia going
1: blue yeah. um, that, that is pure fantasy yeah. uh granted the, the demographics demographics have changed in both states <clears throat> we've seen that just by the house vote in 2018 but I mean, those for presidential, there's not a prayer that that happens. It's not a prayer. But it again, we'll go to the states that Trump won. And right now, Biden's up in, now, margin of error in a couple of them, but he's up in swing states that, that, that Trump won. So... They've got, they've got their work cut out. we got to look that. at the
0: oversampling, too. They're oversampling Dems by a lot. Well, that's true, too. That's the, There's something to be said for that. You know, uh, what, what role is the uh, are, are these digital platforms going to play in the election this time around now that they're more, uh, or not more, now that they're 100% out there and open pro-Biden? And the other question is the media. Um, we've always known that the media has always been anti-Republican, pro-Democrat with this president. It is gloves off. It is they're not hiding that fact uh, to the point where CNN was saying that they should broadcast the convention with a delay so they could fact check it. You I know, noticed the they didn't say that about
1: the Democrats.
0: Right. Well, how come they didn't say that about the Democrats? Right. And that they were going to have all this stuff. It, it's you know, it, it's pretty amazing. And you saw that tweet about, you know, when Nikki Haley said America is not racist, that one pundit said, coming from a white woman, um, you <laughs> know,
1: <laughs> that's how that's how blinded they are. They can't even see the forest for the trees. You know, well, let me let dream. me deal with so far, Let's let me deal with digital first, and I'll deal with the media. That's I a much, gave you a
0: lot there. Sorry,
1: <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, so, on digitally, um, I can tell you something that we did um, in my most recent campaign, the one out in Oregon, is that we geofenced two counties. With a specific message regarding my candidate, and um, if I had more money, I would have been able to do all counties. But these are two of the largest counties in the district, and we we mimicked Trump's operation around the country in those two counties, and we wound up getting forty percent in one county and thirty eight percent another county. This is with twelve candidates in the race, wow. and the winning winning margin county or district wide was thirty. 31% so I guess what I'm saying is is that um, what they are probably doing and I'm, I'm not I don't have any prior knowledge to this I'm just guessing based on what we did is that they are geofencing um, different areas of the country um, hopefully the suburbs in my opinion um, but they're also probably and then targeting a message to those specific voters in other cases we were able to do that with spe- we geofenced every church because Jason was an evangel or is an evangelical. And we we sent each one of these churchgoers. Now this is at the beginning of COVID, so it probably wasn't as effective after they shut down all the churches, but we we with a pro-life or or pro evangelical message um, towards those voters. And and we we think we turned them out, but there were we just again, there wasn't enough money at the end, and we we, we ran out of voters essentially. So um I think that Trump is probably doing the same thing, and that's why that's why they keep saying they can grow their base. Um, I'm not sure they can, but um, if if they if they can, it's going to be by a few voters. They've got to change voters' minds in order to win right now. Yeah. Uh, going to the media, I think the media has less of an impact than they think they have. I think that if you're watching Fox, they're trashing CNN, and if you're watching CNN, they're trashing Fox. And then MSNBC is its own little, you know, entity over there. Um, I think people get news where they want to get their news from. Um, I don't. I mean, I'll switch over to CNN just to see what they're saying. But I know very well that they have a bias, yeah. and so I think that most informed voters know that as well, and that me and the media is getting to know that, and they're getting pissed off that they have less and less influence than they used to.
0: Yeah, I think their approval numbers are in the teens, right? So. Oh God, yeah, it's worse than Congress. Yeah, it's worse than Congress, which is pretty pathetic, man. That's insane. Well, Jim, man, thanks for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you, and um, and we got to lock up. Uh, we got to lock up that live uh, podcast,
1: man. Yes, we do. Let's let's talk. Uh, let's talk this week, my friend. And uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, enjoy talking with you and your listeners. And um, absolutely. And talking about
0: MSNBC, we have Rick Tyler on next, man, talking about his book, Still Right. So, huh. That should be a lot of fun. <laughs> hey, I go back with Rick to the, uh, to, you know, way back in the, and, and back to the new days. So, uh, you know, oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> we're going to have a little fun with that. And uh, I'll give him a little bit of shit for, uh, for, his, uh, for, for his pandering on MSLSD. But, you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Man. Anyways, um, brother, I'll see you next week, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll see you next week, brother. All right, man. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. <laughs> That's right, General Quarters, and this is Battleground, and we are 69 days away from the election, and we have a political animal, a stud in politics, Rick Tyler. Hey, Rick, welcome to the show, man. Uh, We go way back, I guess, uh, to to the Newt race back in 11, Um, and man, I've been following you for a long time, Uh, still do. You're a stud. Uh, I know we don't agree on uh on what's going on today with this president but uh i know we agree on just about everything else so first of all congratulations on your book um i couldn't have asked for a better deal under two dollars an hour for you to read for me for eight hours that was fantastic i appreciate it. The cheapest you for. Worked for. It. absolutely man thank you very much for that that was that was amazing uh, man tell us about the
2: book uh well, everybody should really read that book by the way it's great to see you, and it's great to be back with you, and and congratulations on, on a successful podcast. And I appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, I wrote I wrote Still Right, um, because I wanted to kind of lay down a marker of what I believe conservatism was and still could be. And and mostly I, I, I re- wrote it because I really believe I and I know as you do that conservatism can actually be and is an attractive governing philosophy. Um, you know it gets demonized by the left. uh, And to be fair to them, the the right demonizes progressivism. That's also a rational uh, philosophical governing philosophy. It's not my philosophy and it's not yours, um, but there are many countries that will operate under socialism. My my contention is they would operate so much better under a conservative philosophy. And I wanted to write the book to explain why. The second reason I wanted to write is because there are some policy disagreements that I'm having right now with our the current administration and the Republican party and and kind of lay down a marker there to say, you know, if we really do believe in conservative philosophy uh, as a governing philosophy, we ought to adhere to these principles because in the long run, I think they're just much better for economic prosperity. Uh, and that, that takes the form of free trade, healthcare, immigration uh, and trade. So so that's really why, why I wanted to look why I wanted to write the book, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and explain it.
0: No, absolutely, Rick. And, and, you know, like I said, thanks for reading the book for me, uh, to me. It was fantastic. Um, one thing I, w- I want to talk about. That was about. a challenge,
2: by the way. That was not easy. I, I will tell you, I, here, I've, I've never told anybody this in public. That's my wife knows about it. But when I went to read the audiobook, I felt very guilty going in, because what I thought in my head was, I, I want to do this. I want to try this. It's probably going to fail within the first hour and then they're going to have to hire somebody to do it. I, I really didn't think, cause I'm not a strong reader out loud. I just never, never been. Yeah. And I had this fantastic director. Her name was Elise. And um, she just got me through it and she taught me so much about how to read effectively out loud. And we actually did the introduction, the preface and chapter one over again <laughs> because I had so markedly approved by the time I got to the last chapter that we went back and redid them and um, but I was just so grateful for the production and the, and a, a great director made a huge difference.
0: Yeah, that, that, was, that was really cool. I, I, I love the audiobooks because you know, you, you can be multitasking, right? While you're hearing it. Like I'm on my desk, I'm at my desk and I have, you know, I I have Alexa, you know, on listening yeah. to you. Right. And um and, and, and I can Get both things done, which is pretty cool. Or at night, you know, I put on my earbuds and 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 listen to a book because um, sometimes you know, with the light, my wife will be like, "Turn off the light" or whatever, right? You know, like like typically happens. So, audiobooks
1: are fantastic. That,
2: I've listened to hundreds of audiobooks, and I I listen all the time cause my commute is so long in yeah. general. So I yeah. I can knock out a lot of books um, just driving back and forth. Exactly. Um, and and, you know you become a sort of a critic of the people who read right because they're because it is such and that's why i wanted to do it because such a it's such an opportunity uh to you know it's really intimate being in a car which is where most people listen to audiobooks just speaking and talking uh to having the author talk directly to you yeah. my brother-in-law who i'm very close with called me and he said i thought the audiobook was fantastic the only yeah. weird thing is why I kept wanting to interact, and realizing you weren't actually in the car with me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, when you were talking about trade, I was like, I was about to interrupt you. You know, on a couple. (laughs) Wait. No, no, don't mean none of that. You can pause. You can pause me or (laughs) delete me. Wait a minute, minute, Rick. You know,
0: interrupt me. (laughs) I I felt like we exactly like 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 you just explained. Like I felt like I needed to interact with you and pause you and you know and then. And say no, 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 but wait, you know, and well, we uh, can do that now. <laughs> exactly, but you know what? On trade, first of all, great book, man. Congratulations, Thanks. loved it. Uh, you need to keep keep coming up with stuff like that. I really appreciated the uh, the stuff that you talked about. Um, you know, when, when you were with Newt and when you traveled and did events and all the stuff that you learned with him. I mean, I, I still think he's probably one of the smartest guys you know, uh, to ever walk into any room. Um, and, and and obviously just a political, political machine. Um, uh, you know, when, when you explained how, you know, 20 years or whatever it is later after being speaker, he's still relevant, you know, and that's so key because it's so true and, um, and just goes to show how powerful he is really, you know. Well, it's a hard
2: thing to do. And I, I realize the secret of, of that, and that is... Um, Dude has a speakers bureau and I used to work with that speakers bureau and I would ask them, you know, what makes a great, what makes one of your clients He uh, as well. I'll tell you a little secret here in Washington. Um, most of the people who come out of Congress, come across the river to our office and they want to be represented by the speakers bureau. And they last 18 months on average, some a little longer, but most of them never last more than two years. And I was just fascinated by that. I said, well, wh- why is that? And he, and he says, he, was, he wasn't sure, they just sort of they sort of had their shtick and then they run out of material and they're done. And I realized right then what he was saying and why it was significant. And that is politicians are used to reporting back to their constituency about things that happened. In other words, they're always reporting back about the past. I got you this bill, I got you that bridge, I got you your tax cut, I got you whatever it is that they had. They're always reporting back about the past. And when they're no longer in Congress, there's nothing left to report. There's nothing left to report back. The Newt's secret always was, and still is, is that he's been able to always report about the future. Like he never talked about the past. He was always projecting uh, some vision about how things could be, or the next step, or the next interesting thing, or the next big thing. And that made him interesting. And that, that, is, that set him apart from every other politician who was mired in the status quo and stuck in the past. So if you want to be a great speaker, and you're in Congress now, Take my advice. Talk about the future, not the past.
0: Yeah, no, nude, nude is fantastic, man. So, I guess a little bit about you, man. You, you know, you, you are, you are the ultimate conservative. You really are. Uh, you, you stuck to your guns. You know, stay, stand your ground. Uh, you went to the Lions Den over at MSNBC. Um, that, that's, 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 that's got to be tough. You talked about Chris Matthews, who, um, who, by the way, I also grew up watching. And respect right. tremendously, tremendous like Our
2: whole lives, right? <laughs> We've watched Chris Matthews.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, man, you know, we I, I'm, I'm on 180 degrees opposite of Chris Matthews, but I still tell everybody, and I always say this publicly, I have no shame, is I, I think this guy's one of the most knowledgeable guys in politics, you know, that have been around for a long, long time. I mean, this guy knows it inside out. Jimmy oh, White House, I mean, Tip O'Neill, I mean, you name it,
2: right? He, he worked for those guys. It's not... There are a lot of talking heads on television today, and none of them have worked in politics. And but Chris worked on the Hill. He worked for three different congressmen. He was actually a uh, Capitol Hill police officer. Did you know that before he went no, to politics? Wow. Yeah, he was. He was a Capitol Hill police officer. So not only does he know the Hill, um, politically, he knows the Hill physically. Wow. Uh, so he, yeah, I mean, and I give him a lot of credit for when I first went on Chris Matthews. My, my goal was to survive the interview and, and I did and I kept getting invited back over and over again and I really was able to I, I had to learn how do I connect with a left leaning audience. You could do it two ways. You could go you could go on MSNBC and be the guy they love to hate and that's okay. They'll invite you, you back. It, right? Yeah,
0: right. and they'll
2: love to hate they'll love to hate you and they'll keep inviting you back. But if you really want to, if you really want to advance the conservative cause, and by the way, I was that guy at Embassy for a long time. I was the guy they loved to hate. But if you really want to advance conservatism and what it means, um, you really have to learn how to, how to speak or how to communicate that message to that audience. That doesn't mean you change your message or it's different. It's different, a different message or you're, or you're compromising your message. I don't mean that at all. I mean, you have to, you have to connect with that audience in a different way to sell your ideas. And that was a real challenge with MSNBC. And I I used to be on Fox all the time. I do Fox every, every, almost every week, usually every couple weeks. And, you know, it's not really a challenge to go on and talk about and defend conservatism to a, a left, a right leaning audience, but going on a left leaning audience, getting them to like you, getting them to listen to you, respect you. And, and so I get a lot of that now is, you know, I don't agree with you but at least I respect you, at least I like you. I'm listening, I'm listening. And others have said, you know what? I didn't even really know what conservatism was until I read your book. Um, and that's been really heartening, Is that they're, 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 a lot of liberals in MSNBC are reading my book and they're saying, I may not agree with everything in here, but at least I know where you're coming from. And meaning they, they are conceding that conservatism is a rational governing philosophy. It's not their philosophy, but at least they understand what the philosophy is.
0: That's right, and I remember when the campaign was over 16, I came to you and also reached out to, to the speaker, right, and then some other folks, Michael Steele as well, about, you know, the success that, that I had had on Spanish media this time around, because in the past in other races, I've always been, you know, a surrogate, but mostly ad hoc here and there, maybe once a week, once every two weeks. Here I was on every day, multiple times a day for a year and a half. I was a contributor on CNN Espanol, and I was what Rick Tyler used to be in the past—very combative, right? And yeah.
1: uh, and I found that that
0: was super effective at the time because I was, you know, out, outnumbered five to one, right? So and it was
2: loads of fun. <laughs> yeah, well, it
0: was a lot of fun, right? And, you yeah, know, and, and getting to drive them crazy was just hysterical. I mean. And I remember when we talked about it, you said, yeah, I used to be like that, but i toned it down. And you explain the same thing that you're explaining now and how you've been more effective being able to you know, move the message forward, et cetera. And, and I think to our Republican friends that see you on MSNBC and see that you don't agree with the president, go, ah, you know, and, and they probably love to hate you too. Um, that's why I. That's why I said. You know what? Read his book. Read, read Rick's, Rick's book. You, you'll get it. You'll understand why and and where he's coming from. And I think that's important. Uh, so I'm glad you wrote the book, man. Um,
2: and he even worked on my mother. That's she right. Thought I, she thought I, went, I was going. I've gone crazy. Is that right? She called. She called me recently. and said, "I finished your book, and I I see where you're coming from now." <laughs> right?
0: yeah. So last week, what the hell was that? I mean, you know. I don't know if you can praise anything of last week. I I thought that was loom and gloom. It was pathetic. It was divisive. It was about race baiting. It was just crazy. You know, this totally, this totally different reality of what America is, of what the American dream is, of what that shining city upon
2: the hill that Reagan talked about. So you're talking about you're you're talking about the Democratic convention, not the Republican convention. Correct. Last week. Yes. I just want to be clear. Yeah. Listen, I I. I haven't watched all of either convention. I've watched some of both of them. Um, To be honest with you, uh, um, you know, watching the Democratic convention, you know, I kind of lose my resolve. (laughs) (laughs) Because people ask me, they say, well, you're still a Republican. I said, I believe in Republicanism, um, but I'm not connecting with the current Republican Party. But why don't you become a Democrat? And I'm like, well, I don't connect with them at all. I just don't agree with them on... On most issues and, and as i say it's you know and not all of them and unfortunately a lot of them got airtime last week is what i've found about the democratic party is is has been interesting um like like the conservative like the republican party there's a lot of vocal minority on, on one side or the other yeah. and the vocal minority on the democratic side does define a lot of what the democratic what the democrats uh what most people say they believe but when i talk to rank and file Democrats. The Democratic Party is actually, it's older than the Republican Party. You, you wouldn't know that because they, yeah. they, you know, you can look at Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and their ages and their leadership and, and conclude it's an old party. But there's this, there's this perception that the Democrat, the Democratic Party rank and file is a young party. It's not, it's an old party. It's actually older than the Republican Party. Um,
0: Historically, yeah.
2: Yeah, and today it is too. Even though they attract a lot more young people there's still a lot of much older uh, Democrats, but they're not, you'd be surprised that there there many of them are, are what I would call conservative. I mean, uh, they don't believe in the Green New Deal. They don't believe in a lot of the economic proposals that you see coming out. And the way I define sort of conservatism from progressivism is, you know, is in rather simple terms. One sees government as a, as a force for good, and that would be the progressive model. The government can... Can grow and be big, and, and it can do great things for people, from healthcare to trade to wages to economic opportunity, uh, or all the rest. And so that's what they believe, and and I believe they believe that. Um, but I don't think anybody on our side has been making the case that conservatism um, is is ordered liberty. Is that's all? It's really all it is. It's um, that the free market is a force for good. And then I get in all these arguments about. Well, what about greed and what about selfishness? Well, look, greed and selfishness are always gonna be with us, they're always there. Yep. They're, they're gonna be there in the free market, they're gonna be there in, in the social in socialism. But when you compare different uh, governing philosophies, uh, the free market has brought prosperity to more people in the world, more wealth creation. We're the best example of it, we're not the only example. Uh, India has seen tremendous growth in taking people out of deep uh, poverty Uh, and putting them in the middle class. And that's a huge numbers are coming over. Um, And if you look at the United States, you know, Trump likes to say we're the greatest economy in the world. You know, he's right about that. But we were also the greatest economy in the world when Hoover was president (laughs) during the Great Depression. And we've been the greatest economy in the world since since Warren Harding in 1880, when we uh, succeeded the British by becoming the world's largest economy. And ever since then, within the economy and the world knows this. And this is why immigration is such an important issue is that this is where you come for opportunity. This is where you come to live out your dream. This is where you come to have a chance um, at the American way of life, which is so starkly different than many of the places that people are migrating from. And so you have to look at that model and say, where in the world has uh, uh, prosperity that is wealth creation. People are confused about wealth creation. It's very simple to explain. Wealth creation is just taking something ordinary. It could be an idea or it could be a raw material and turning it and adding value to it. So my greatest, the best example is, is sand. You know, if I, if I took a dump, a dump truck load of sand and put it in your driveway, Ivan, you wouldn't be very happy with me, right? Yeah. But Then I would say, I'd say, Ivan, you know, you could take all this sand and you could make silicon chips and you can put them in your in your cell phone, and there's there'll be billions of them. And through all that, we're going to create this this internet commerce, um, and billions and billions of transactions are going to create trillions of domi- dollars of economic growth. Then you say, I don't know, it looks like a pile of sand in my driveway. That's wealth creation. Wealth creation is taking an innovation or an idea yep. and turning it into something people want. Um, and because we have mostly free markets. We don't have all free markets and I argue that in the book because people say, well, you know, it's all about the profit model and greed. And Well, the profit model is, is important to the free market, but you know what? Greed has no business in, in, in the actual free market. And the reason I say so is that to be successful in business, you've got to think about three things, the wants, needs, and desires of your customers. Um, and that's what you got to think about every morning. What do my customers want? What do they need? What do they desire? And if you can fulfill those things, you'll be very, you'll be a very successful entrepreneur. That means you got to think about other people every every single day, what they want, not what you want. The other thing is selfishness. You yeah, selfishness means thinking about, um, I'm sorry. Selfishness would be, you know, thinking about other people. Greed, greed actually has no place in the free market. And the reason is in order for you to be a successful entrepreneur, you got to invest, you got to, you got to push money away from you as quickly as possible that may be hiring people and personnel maybe capital costs and equipment it could be distribution center it could be all kinds of, it's very expensive um the people take risks and someone someone came at me the other day and said well what about jeff bezos he makes he makes too much money and why why does he get to keep all that money so well because he created the greatest retail distribution system known to mankind and you didn't now we can argue about the good things about Amazon and the, poor and the bad things about Amazon, but you know what? Everybody who puts on Amazon and buys a product right. it does it voluntarily. They, they don't do it. And
0: especially during the pandemic, everybody was shopping on yeah,
2: Amazon,
1: yeah. right? I mean, I my
2: mean. only my concern is today during this pandemic is that the Amazon driver is gonna hit the UPS driver as the FedEx driver tries to get out of my driveway. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, these are real first world problems we have here. Yep. <laughs> right. yep.
0: So free trade. You talked about yep. that a little bit. you brought it up a, a couple times. I'm a free trader. I was involved in a lot of these FTAs, uh, especially with Latin America, um, you know especially during the Bush administration. Um, I agree with you. Free trade is good. free trade is good on, on, on a lot of levels. but it also has a lot of problems, right And we're seeing oh, sure. those issues right now with China. Our manufacturing is over there. you know it, it makes us very, very susceptible. And very um, at risk, right? Um, so there are some things that I don't think you want to be 100% free, even though I think you do. I mean, you want to let, let the market decide. But if you just, if, if you don't do anything right now, like under the Defense Production Act, right? Let's say the president says, hey guys, you guys need to get out of there, right? China's not our friend. You know, we can't have all of our pharmaceuticals, all of our PPE, all of our, you know, vital stuff made in a country that is clearly not our ally. Um, and they say, well, I don't care. You know, this is where I get the most margin. This is where I'm going to make the most money. How do you how do you combat that argument? Because if you impose something that is not free trade, right, if you regulate it, then you're not really being a free trader, right? You're not really letting the market
2: decide. You're not letting the market. You're not letting the market decide, and I think, on balance, letting the market decide is better. But this China brings up several issues. Um, one is uh, the current Uyghur situation, where Uyghurs, which is a Muslim minority in, in the western part of China, uh, actually live in what I would term, you know, labor camps. Yep. And they're they're and they make products uh, that uh, are bought and sold uh, on, the, on the free market, right? That's that is not free trade, and that's a that's a moral um, decision uh, that government should address. Yeah. This administration has not addressed the Uyghur situation, so that's that's one aspect. People can decide for themselves; they can say, "Well," they have to have to know that I don't want to support China because of the Uyghur situation, and that is a that's a that is a moral decision on the individual basis. I also believe that governments should. Take a moral stand against labor camps, and that's what the Uyghurs are in there in labor camps. Let's be clear about it. Um, and they should.
0: And they uh, just it. did, right? And they just did recently with an example with with the gloves coming out of uh, out of Top Glove. I think it's uh, where the hell is yeah, it? Com-
2: companies companies they're need using to know child
0: labor, right? So th- yeah, th-
2: well, not just child labor. They're using all labor. Everybody gets right. up in the morning, goes to work for the Chinese government, and they don't have a say about it. It's they're, it's predetermined. Um, so companies need to know what their what their sourcing is. Governments need to know what, what the source of, of the products, whether it's, late, you know, whether it's I would call it slave labor, or whether it's child labor. So that's that's one issue, and that needs to be addressed on a government to government level. The other part about China Chinese trade is that you often hear that um, uh, Chinese, China is stealing our technology. And to some degree that's true, but what people don't, I don't think people understand is when, when you go to, when you do business with China, you enter into a contract with China, which does skirt the trade um, trade. world, yeah. it, it skirts the World Trade Organization's rules about intellectual property. But these companies willingly sign an agreement that makes China a partner. You have to you have, to have a, a Chinese partner to do business in China. And when you're dealing in China, your partner is the Chinese government. Yep. Um, and so they, so I, I don't think I'm out of line saying they, they willingly, if, if begrudgingly agree to transfer the technology, but when we say theft of technology, that's a different thing. They do that too. Sure. But when a company signs a document saying, we're going to give you the technology, if we, if we can do business in China as part of the deal, right. it's a little disingenuous to say they're stealing it. They're not stealing it. You're You're letting them take it. So the, the, the choice is you you could not do trading in China but on a broader level we have a trade deficit with China which is growing by the way it's, it's not going down um, although and imports are, are also uh, you know, what we export to I'll get that I'll get to that in a minute but we have a trade deficit with China the same way you have a trade deficit with your supermarket Nope. the problem is you keep buying stuff from your supermarket voluntarily nope. and they never buy anything back from you you know and so that's that results in a trade deficit they get all the money and you get the product that they sell um, it's interesting Hong Kong started the same way Hong Kong was a was a a dock in the South China Sea and the uh, the British used to trade there they buy porcelain tea and other other products from there um, but the Chinese, wouldn't take anything but silver and the trade deficit was so bad the silver supply in England got to be very scary low um, so the so the British had the solution which is somewhat illegal they, they, they engaged in the opium trade and they would they would sell opium to the Chinese except they had a stipulation opium could only be bought with silver so they got all their silver back uh, but they addicted the the Chinese people yeah. and over time that, that ended up in the opium wars, two of them, uh, and then over time, uh, there was a, uh, uh, a treaty signed, and the, and the British got control of Hong Kong, and they got control of it for 99 years, 100
0: years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: during that time, Hong Kong became, and, and still is, one of the wealthiest places in the world. Now, it has no natural resources. There's no oil. It has no natural gas. There's no coal. It has no diamonds, no mines. There's nothing. All it has is freedom yep. and, and the ability to create and, and be, uh, use ingenuity. And um, there are more skyscrapers in Hong Kong today than they ever have. Now, yeah, that's China's amazing.
0: Going, that's amazing. Yep.
2: Hong Kong is going through a hell of a time right now because China's clamping down. They want to return it. They know that Hong Kong is the goose that keeps laying the golden eggs, but they're about to kill the goose uh, because they want to take away Hong Kong's freedom. That's what the protests are all about. Um, and so that's the trade. The trade deficit is because we, as Americans, a lot of buy we buy a lot of Chinese products. Because what people don't talk about, and I think it's fair to point out, that, that yes, they can unfairly compete in manufacturing because they pay a lot less, so the labor is a lot less. By the way, when we clamp down on China, because and we say it's because of labor, the jobs don't come back to the United States. They actually go to other places like. Singapore, and Vietnam, uh, and Cambodia, um, which also has cheap labor. So they didn't, all those jobs didn't come back from China. Some of them might have, but the, on ba- on balance, I, I've read where, uh, in fact, recently as yesterday, I was reading about the Midwestern states, they have not seen a growth in manufacturing jobs. They got some back, they lost some, but it's a net no gain. And the Chinese jobs, the jobs in China are not if there are jobs being lost there, the, the manufacturing, is not being, it's not being moved from China to the United States, being moved from China to Vietnam is more, more likely. Yeah, I think,
0: there's gonna be, I think there's going to be a shift without a doubt. Um, I don't think, like you said, they're coming back to the U.S., but I think there's an opportunity to bring them back to this hemisphere, right? And we have well, that we can, infrastructure in place because we have some free trade yeah. agreements and it's safer to have them here. It would be better to uh, build up our hemisphere than to continue to build up China, at least, you know, in, in theory, that works, right?
2: Well, yes and no. I mean, every, so what the left has been really good at is propping up the past. They, they've always protested, you know, with the past, like when the railroad, they didn't like the, you know, the railroads because it competed with the stage coaches. And then when they shut down the railroads because the automobile bail- came, they didn't want to do that. And then when Uber, and Lyft came to New York City. They were the first ones to say, "Oh, well, we can't have that because it's going to hurt the taxi drivers." And those are all disruptive technologies. And I know that um, you know they're painful, and we go through them over and over again. But on balance, um, the U.S. economy keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger, not weaker and weaker and weaker. Even if we do lose some manufacturing jobs, my contention with the president since he wants to bring back coal mining, coal mining jobs, and you know that sounds good. Um, except the coal miners are out of business, not not so much because of the clean coal regulations, but because natural gas became so cheap. No. The fact is nobody wants to work in a coal mine. Even coal miners don't want to work in a coal mine. They'll tell you they don't want to work in a coal mine. The reason they work so hard in the, in the coal mines is so their kids don't have to work in a coal mine. They want their kids to go to college and, and learn about the next trade. And the reason there's a lot of anxiety among people my age, you know, white males like me with no skills applicable to the next Wave of the future, like I'm not going to stop today and learn how to become a artificial intelligence um, scientist, or I'm not going to be building the next you know uh, no driver car. Um, I'm not going to be designing the drones that deliver packages or take my kids to school with their backpack. Right? <laughs> like, but all these things are happening, and it and it's, it gives it gives people a lot of anxiety. Um, and what politicians always fail to do—remember, I talked about—they always talk about the past. They, what they fail to do is they talk. They fail to talk about the future, as if it, as if it as if it might have a positive outcome. Right. Um, you know, I'm not a. I'm not. I don't. I don't sign on to the Green New Deal, because it seems to me is it's a, it's a it's an agenda that doesn't really do anything much about the environment, but it does do a lot about about wealth distribution and the problem with wealth distribution doesn't create wealth. It only moves it around and it doesn't actually um, help in the long run. But I am an environmentalist. I love the environment and I want to protect it. And I want to do all I can to protect it without bankrupting the economy. And yep. so why the why why the Republicans would just cede that issue to the Democrats is crazy.
0: Um, well, Joe, Joe, actually, in his book a couple of years ago, um, Talked about that really effectively. Uh, I also had him read it to me. So, next time you see him, please <laughs> thank him on my behalf. But he said, you know, as conservatives, we should conserve, right? Yeah. And, sure. and, and, and that was the best way that anybody on our side has been able to explain that. And nobody's, yeah. been, nobody's, nobody's taken that argument, you know, and say, hey, we're conservatives. We should conserve. It is okay right um it's right, a, we to, we run away from this freddy krueger thing
2: you know it, it, it's it's crazy it's just it's exploited as a political argument i'll make the case in the book and i poke a little fun at some of the science in there because you know this this whole idea of, of settled science really sort of gets under my skin because science is never settled no scientist is, that i know is satisfied with no, with knowing, like I know it all. They don't know it all. Right. We didn't know anything about plate tectonics until we did. We didn't know how the moon was created until we did. We didn't know how the big. Now we didn't know the universe was expanding until we did. And there's so much more to learn. And the idea that we that that uh, climate change is settled. The climate has been changing since the Big Bang and will continue to change. And the problem I have is I can say in the most conciliatory way that. I believe the earth is warming, but I don't know to what degree man is contributing to it. And they don't either, because when I look at all the, the, the materials that they send me and they send them to me, the variables in calculating climate are so complicated. There are dozens and dozens of known variables. And what do they do? They guess. So let me put it this way. So like if you, they say rocket science. or You know, it's not rocket science. Meaning, rocket science is really complicated. Rocket science is easy, because all the all the uh, the variables are fixed and known against known forces. So, for instance, I got to get this rocket Ray, in the
0: air. Uh, how much speed, et cetera? Correct. Those. Right. Are, how much
2: does it? How much the is it How much thrust right. am I going to need? How much fuel, therefore, am I going to need to get that thrust? And how much does the fuel weigh? And what are the winds, and what are, where is it going, and what's the trajectory, and all? But those are all known. Like I, I, couldn't do it, but but you get the, you get the idea. In climate, they're just things they don't know, so they guess, and they may guess right, but they may guess wrong. But then there are probably dozens of unknown unknowns, meaning variables we don't, we're not even aware about, because it's 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 the oceans, it's the currents, it's the air air currents, it's the temperatures it's the plankton, it's the CO2, it's just so many things and we should know more and more about it. And so I, I remain a, a climate skeptic, but I could admit that anthropomorphic um, climate change is taking place. But if I express the slightest doubt, you know what they call me? <laughs> they call me a denier. Right. And I'm like, and they, I said, what do you mean i a denier? They say, you don't believe in climate change. And I said, well, those are religious terms. If you say, I don't believe, that's not science. (laughs) That means I, I, that's, that's doctrine. That's, that's 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 like arguing, that's like arguing the virgin birth with me. Like there's no point in it. You're not going to talk me out of believing in the virgin birth because it's part of my Catholic, small C. I'm not a big C Catholic. Part of my Christian faith is the virgin birth. So don't talk to me about that because that's doctrine, but I don't, I, it really kind of gets under my skin when people talk about the, the climate and believing in it in, 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 doc, in doctrinal terms. It's not doctrinal. Uh, we should know as much as we can about it. But at the same time, I'm very excited about technologies that could potentially uh, lead to less carbon loading, less uh, so-called grass, green grass emission. I drive a hybrid vehicle. Um, I'd love to get a fully electric car, um, but I can't justify the cost yet. I, I can't get, do I that, man. Gandhi. I would
0: never do that. I don't want to say never, but I just cannot see myself ever driving a Prius. Not gonna happen, dude. I drive. I don't a drive a Prius. I drive, I drive a Ram 1500 uh, Rebel with a with a Hemi in it. So. And that's a hell. of a no That's way. a hell of
2: a car. That's no the one way. I want to rent. That's the that's the vehicle I always rent when I go out and I take it to the abandoned mall parking lots in there are well, a lot dude, of them. it is and awesome i love it and i see what it, i see now with the new it, one too, the t-rex the trx yeah, but, but you know what all the high performance cars yeah. ferrari lamborghini bmw they're all hybrids yeah. did you know that yeah. <laughs> yeah they're all hybrid cars now and yeah, they still have well, look at the ultimate look, they have look, ultimate look, performance yeah and look at tesla oh, I, I ran with a guy in dc the other day and he owned a tesla and he says, what do you, I said, what, what, it, you know, what does that car burn? I was teasing him. He says, 100% electric. I said, no, it doesn't. He goes, what does it burn then? I said that that car right there you fill up in DC, right? He goes, yeah. I said that car burns hundred percent coal because that's what DC runs on. The city of DC for it's electrical needs is 100% from the coal fired plant. That's not far from the capital. Wow. <laughs> so, so that's a coal fired car, but look, You know, I would love to get to, you know, zero emissions, you know, and and Joe Biden has laid out that as a goal. But if it's gonna collapse our economy, then no. But I think I think we're smart enough to do it both ways. And by the way, I think there are a lot of good paying jobs in creating the future there. But there's gotta be a demand for it and it's gotta be free free market. Now the government can along.
0: Hey Rick, one of the things that I uh, you know that that, not just I, but I'm pretty sure you do and and, and a lot of people have a, a challenge if you wanna use that word with you know, going back into this whole trade and manufacturing and jobs, right, the jobs yep. of the future, is we need to have kids more focused on STEM jobs than these liberal arts degrees and running up these big bar tabs in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, and yep. they can't go get a job. They can't go yep. do anything. And then, they, then they're out there complaining and becoming Bernie bros, right? And, and that's, that's, that's kind of a problem, right? Um, how, how do we change that? There's gotta be something that changes and I hate to be partisan, but I am a partisan and liberals own academia and that's what they push. That's the garbage they're pushing. You know, how, do yeah. you, how do you combat that?
2: I think it's happening now and it's not through, a, it, not through any plan. Think about all the colleges right now that, are, that uh, have opened and we, we're getting all these outbreaks of coronavirus within the colleges. And, they've, and they have quickly adapt. And it's not just the colleges, my own, my daughter's a school teacher. Sure. She's actually she's actually likely, I don't know yet, she's likely to head up in, for her, she, she's just primary school, grade, you know, grade school. But she's likely to head up the online learning uh, for, for the classes. And so those students have a choice of going to school full-time, going, doing a hybrid model, staying home part of the time, going to school, and then there are those we're just going to stay home. And you're seeing that in colleges as well. And the whole model is shifting. The idea of going to a brick and mortar college experience, I, I think that will be with us. But but we've sort of accelerated this idea so quickly that, you know what, you can earn a degree online. It can be a, as, as every bit as valuable as a degree of having the four-year college uh, degree. And, and I agree with you that, you know, you, I do think students are more aware of getting a degree that leads to marketable skills, it kind of always a little bit ticked me off when Bernie says, you know, I don't have a college, personally, I don't, I didn't go to college. I keep meaning to go back, but I, I've never done it. Hey, same here, man. Same here, that's where we're in politics, right?
1: <laughs> you know, you know
2: I, it's true, it's one of the last surviving meritocracies. The other is working in yeah. a kitchen, and this was so much easier. But, um, <laughs> but but when, but, you know, I paid for two college educations, by the way, not mine. Yeah. Um, I pay for my wife's education. I pay for my daughter's education. And yep. They both have four-year degrees. My daughter has a master's, and um, uh, I'm glad for it. And they've got their they've got their college education. Um, but uh, it you know it's it doesn't it's not everything. A college education is not everything. You can right. do very well in the world without a college education. And you can and, and
0: there's tons of self-educated folks. Look at Bill Gates, man.
2: You know? Oh my gosh, yeah. Talk about uh, dialect, uh, right?
0: The founder of Oracle, you know, I mean, yep. th- there's, there's tons of examples that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be.
2: It's go. in my book. Uh, Thomas Edison was sent home in the sixth grade. It's a bit apocryphal, but he was basically sent home within the sixth grade with a note from his teacher that he was basically unteachable. Yep. And when Edison asked his mother what the note said, she said, this student is so bright. You'll have to teach him at home yourself, which is what she did. Yep. And Thomas Edison created, credited his mother uh, for his enormous success. But Thomas, Thomas Edison is basically a sixth grade, a sixth grade dropout.
0: Well, you can – hey, uh, man, you know what? There's so so much information online, like you just said. Uh, you know, you can read and, and and inform and educate yourself every single minute of the day. I'm a big Tony Robbins guy. You know, I love Tony Robbins. I've been following him since the 90s. And like he says, if you can learn one new thing every day, wouldn't that be amazing? Yep. Yeah. That's three hundred.
2: you you definitely learn it, right? I mean, absolutely. We're constantly learning about we're learning about geography, we're learning about issues, we're mm-hmm. learning about different history and and and, and <laughs> harvest history right? and everything, right? It's crazy. It's and uh, biographies. Like if you are people always ask me, what well, I'm interested in politics." You know, young people say, well, "I'm interested in politics. What could I be doing now to advance myself in the career?" I tell them two things. One is read biographies. Yeah. You know, read. Read um, biographies on Margaret Thatcher, on Franklin Delano Roosevelt, on Teddy Roosevelt, on Winston Churchill, uh, on Ronald Reagan. Uh, you know, uh, William Howard Taft, uh, Andrew Jackson, George Washington, yep. who was an, an incredible, amazing person. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, and, and steep yourself uh, in those biographies. And, and the second is be willing to work hard. Uh, as you say, in politics, besides literally working in a, in a restaurant kitchen, in a restaurant kitchen, if you go in, you can produce and you know put out meals in a quality way fast, you'll always have a job. Yeah. and It's hard, hard work. They don't care who you are. They don't care what your name is. They don't care what your last name is. They don't care what your, who your father is. They don't care what your education. Yeah. And that's literally true in politics, as you know. Yep. They, they, they don't care who you are. As long as you can go out and produce and continue to produce and perform and keep and sustain that level, you'll go as far as your talent will take you.
0: That's exactly right. So bringing it back to politics, man, that, that was, that was, that was a great segue, man. So what do you see going forward? You know, we got two days left of this convention. We already talked about last week, which was, you know, who knows what the hell that was. Um, you know, where do you see this election? So is, not, there, is there a path for possible. is there a path for Biden?
2: Is there a path for Trump? You and I, Who you ex- and I are probably you and I are probably going to disagree on this and that's yep. okay and, and I'll make a prediction and I and either I'll be right or I'll be very wrong. Sure. I, I predict today that that Donald Trump will lose. And I don't I don't say that Joe Biden will win. I specifically say Donald Trump will lose uh, and I think he'll lose badly. And the reason I say that, and people say, well, what about 2016? That's what you said then. And I did say that then. And the reason I said it then, which never really gets explained when all the people, all the you know the pundits and the pollsters predicted that Hillary would win. Yep. Um, there's a reason for that. And, and the reason it was, wasn't that the polls were wrong. The polls were right. They're like, what? Oh, my God. No, they couldn't be right. Well, they were. They were right. The polls predicted that Hillary Clinton would win a plurality of voters in, in America. That's what a national poll yep. is. And they were dead on. She won by 3 million more votes. Yep. The problem was the polls in three specific states, some of which we didn't do a lot of good polling in. Uh, those Some of those polls were not right uh, in Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And then you had Donald Trump who was an unknown unknown. People knew who he was and he, he purported be a, not a politician, which he wasn't. Um, he knew how to drive the news media, which he did, which he's starting at 5 a.m. every morning. Believe me, the first call I got on the cruise campaign every morning was from a reporter yep. asking me to respond to the Trump campaign.
0: I know, that that's all everybody did to you guys and to every other campaign was like, what, what do you think about what Trump said
2: all day long? It was crazy. But, but now we're in a situation where all the conventional metrics of how we predict elections are all back in place. Um, and I trust, I trust the polling because it just consistently has Biden ahead. Now the race should, should if it follows history, will tighten. Um, but I think in the end, people are going to judge this president uh, based on two things. He had the economy going for him in a very strong way. And we can argue about the trajectory of the economy since 2008 and now. But it is true he had the world's greatest economy and the world's lowest unemployment. Yep. And people generally say... If I have a job and I'm making good money and and my and I feel secure in my future, that is, that job will still be there. They'll generally won't change horses. Yep. Um, but about 27 non-farm jobs were lost during the coronavirus. About a third of them, not quite a third, have come back, meaning they were rehired. There wasn't job growth or job gains, it just came back to their, their jobs, but you know, up, up to three quarter, two thirds and three quarters of that, those job losses are still lost. And the, the longer it goes on, the, the harder it will be to bring those jobs back. And they certainly aren't coming back, in my prediction, in the next, as you mentioned, 69 days. The second thing they're gonna look at is the coronavirus itself. And it is true that, um, I, I think most people might know somebody who had it. Yep. Fewer will know somebody who died, I do. Yep. Um, and many people will have affected most immediately. But uh, we've surpassed 5 million infections and it has shut down the United States. And we're, by election day, we could, we're gonna be between over 200,000 deaths. And it's, it's, it's not Trump's fault he didn't create the coronavirus. But when we, we compare that to other countries, who are getting back to normal, although there's been recent spikes here and there, especially in Europe. Sure. But there's something interesting about the Asian countries. You know, Japan has had less than, I think less than a thousand deaths. Um, South Korea has less than 500 deaths. But if you start adding up all the Asian countries, that would be China, whose numbers I don't trust, by the way, I don't believe. It. But if you add up India, China, basically everything from India to Japan, that would include Laos, Cambodia, Myanmar, um, Vietnam, um, Thailand, Singapore, uh, Taiwan. You get 4.63 billion people—that's a lot of people. They've had 100, a little over 120,000 deaths. We've had close to 180,000 deaths, but we're 0.33 billion people. So there's a performance gap between the between Asia and the United States, and it's stark. Um, and Europe actually had a higher, inf- uh, they actually had a lower infection rate. They have, they do have a higher, they did have a higher death rate, particularly in Italy, um, the UK, uh, not France. France is better than better than we are, and Spain. And um, but they have returned mostly to normal. And for whatever reason, there's I, there's I think there's a lot of them. People say, well, you know, the coronavirus is dangerous. But so is the flu, and so is driving a car. And, and what I'd say is it is true that driving a car is dangerous. Uh, in fact, it's very dangerous. And people do it every day. And people die in huge numbers in automobile accidents. But the fact is there is a risk, but you follow the rules, right? You, you stop at the stop sign. You follow the traffic signals. You know, you don't speed except for you and your Emmy. Um, by the way, when you drive a, a hybrid, you get a lot less speeding tickets. I will say that. That has been my experience. Hey, I, I, um, I
0: had to get rid of the Charger, man, because I, I got too many tickets. So I went to.
2: I know. I haven't had a ticket since I got rid of the Audi. Now, oh, now, now I got the Ford Fusion. You know what happened? Is All my metrics changed. All the metrics changed. Instead of getting to a place faster than the other guy. Here's what happened, Ivan. I mean, this, this is a true story. I had to go to driving school. Like, what an embarrassment, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I go to driving school, and it turns out that morning there's two people in the class, me and this other kid, you know, like, who's like 19. Of course he's yeah. going
1: to get to be in that. driving
2: class, right? And so we're sitting there. The problem was he kept showing us these horrific, um, like, here's what happens when a car drives <laughs> into a barrier at 25 miles an hour, which isn't very fast, but. So the car hits the barrier, and both me and the other kid went, that was awesome. Do you have more of those videos? Yeah, yeah. He goes, and he was getting excited, and he goes, well, okay, well, here's one at 40. Wow, 60. Oh, my God, 70. Look at that. It's unbelievable. What do you see this one? And he was getting as excited as we were, right? Yeah. And so the, the car hits the barrier at 90 miles an hour, and we just are, like, out of our seats cheering, you know. And then he realizes, okay, wait a minute. I'm, I'm supposed to teach these guys. <laughs> Like it wasn't working right, so so we took this test and all this other thing. And we we're supposed to, mandated by law, we we're supposed to be there for eight hours. Yeah, the two hour mark is approaching, and he goes, Um, I'm gonna let you guys go. And they're like, really? Like, it's only been two hours. I, what really? And he goes, Yeah, I'm gonna let you go, but you gotta listen to my, my spiel. Okay, give us your spiel, give us your best spiel. And he gave us his spiel. You know what I remember? He said. When you when you drive let's say you, you commute to work and it's 30 minutes which is a fairly long commute on average and you go an average of five miles an hour over the well, 10, he's at 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, right 20 is reckless but 10 miles an hour over the speed limit um, not only is it dangerous to you and other drivers but here's the real thing you'll get there on average three or four minutes faster than the other guy now I ask you is that three or four minutes? Worth the court costs, the traffic tickets, and spending eight hours in in, in um, Driver Ed. And in my mind, because I'm a metrics guy, right? In my mind, no way in hell. Right. He's right. I'm doing the speed limit from now on, and I just don't care. I drive in the right-hand lane. People pass me all the time. They're all crazy. I'm relaxed. I just drive there. And you know what? My motto is: I'll see you at the light, because that's what happens. The guy goes roaring past me, I'll come up to the stoplight. You know half a mile down the road and guess who's right next to me yeah the guy who, who you know had to cut everybody off right yeah, yeah. And so
0: that's exactly so i
2: learned my well. lesson i don't drive fast anymore um and and now the, now the metric is how can i get there more efficiently so yeah. i'm always looking at, at my because the the trius the yes. and the, the fusion they have these these scores right and i want a good score right? So I'm always going for the good score, which is all about efficiency and not speed. That's great. That's great. Hey, Rick, where can people follow you? You can follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm the most active. And I I really do try to engage with my Twitter audience. And when you ask me questions, I really do try to to answer them. I may miss a lot. But um, I'm very active with my Twitter audience. I have a loyal following because I do talk to them. I'm a blue check who actually talks to people. Um, And I learn a lot from Twitter. I mean, uh, people are so creative. They have so much, they have so many ideas and so much enthusiasm and and they're funny. Uh, And I steal their jokes all the time. And I tell them, can I steal this? Um, And so I get a lot of, I get a lot of uh, content uh, and research done on Twitter and they send me great stories. So I I really enjoy Twitter. I am on Facebook, but I'm at Rick W. Tyler uh, on Twitter. So that's, that's basically where you can find me. Excellent. I'll be on MSNBC.
0: The name of your book. One more
2: time. Still write, an immigrant-loving, hybrid-driving, composting American. That doesn't mean I'm personally composting. It means I'm composting my, my leaves and my cow manure and the, and the organics from the kitchen. Uh, American makes the case for conservatism.
0: Yeah, man. Great book, guys. Everybody should read it. Seriously, Rick Tyler, you're a stud. You're you're a friend, man. I appreciate you coming on board. Ladies and gentlemen, follow Rick Tyler on Twitter. Get his book. You'll realize he's not a bad guy, even though he's on a bad network. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. Welcome back. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the podcast today. Rick Tyler, old friend from many battles. Uh, We talked a little bit about that with the uh, new campaign in 11 and 12. Um, obviously, you guys probably love to hate him over at MSNBC. He's not supporting the president. But he is a true conservative good guy. Check out his book, uh, Still Right. Uh, you'll, you'll get an idea where he's coming from. But he's a good guy. He has not abandoned our principles. He just doesn't see eye to eye uh, with the president. Um, but he's still our friend. And the professor, the myth, the legend, Jim Dornan. Uh, every Wednesday bringing us his uh, political take on what's happening. Uh, we both disagree with, uh, with Rick Tyler, by the way. We think the president is going to win, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I see exactly what Rick is talking about uh, on where you know, the president can, can be vulnerable, but I think the American people know better, and they know that this country was a lot better before this shutdown, before this media-led frenzy of this scare tactic lockdown pandemic, which was, you know, the only the only intention was to shut down the greatest economy in the world and to beat Donald Trump. That's, that's the only thing driving these guys. They don't care about Americans. They don't care about our country. They don't care about our jobs. They don't care about our economy. They certainly don't care about our families. So that's why I think the American people will surprise in November. I think the silent minority is in a surprise big time with... You know a, a significant amount of black voters and hispanic voters that virtually all-time highs but that's going to be the big big surprise and of course the silent majority is out there they came out in 2016 i think they're not going to abandon the president now i think they're going to come out stronger than ever before and uh it's going to be a um i think it's going to be a very decisive victory with a larger margin um we, we are we are definitely standing by that prediction unless something changes but that's where we are and don't forget to visit our sponsors empower america project empower.org jimmy kemp tim scott they're doing great things over there check out what they're doing uh great people paladin operations group.com paladin operations group is a secure full, full service security firm uh from infrastructure dignitaries personal protection you name it, call them. Call them if you need help. Armorforrent.com. Check them out. They got all these armored vehicles. You probably see them on our Twitter page, on our Facebook page. They've been uh, deployed in Katrina. They've been used in uh, the movie Predator, Red Dawn, et cetera, et cetera. Armorforrent.com. You guys want to rent an awesome vehicle, to have a party, park in front of your house, scare your neighbors, I don't know. But uh, they're they badass. You want to check them out. And uh, don't forget Hispanic Leadership Council. Uh, We can't do it without them. They're they're our main sponsor for the show. That's how we we keep the lights on. HLC.GOP. HLC.GOP. Please visit our friends, sponsors, and don't forget to tune in tomorrow.